A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online. So any small business could be a driving force to create change or build an empire. We know old ideas aren't cutting it anymore. So we're calling for a new generation of thinking. Your way of thinking. So whatever you have in mind that will help make a different future, find everything you need to get started at GoDaddy.com. Because the future isn't decided yet. It's up to us to make it happen. Start different at GoDaddy.com. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. This is an ode to the glass noodle. You may be glass only in name, but our love for you is crystal clear in every Bibigo Korean dumpling. Your tantalizing texture tickles the taste buds, and while you are see-through, the world can't help but see you. The glass noodle, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every plump and juicy Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. On episode 37 of Confessions of a Marketer, we're having a conversation about conversational marketing. Welcome back to Confessions of a Marketer. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. Today, I've got my old buddy Kevin Flanagan in to discuss conversational marketing. We'll get to that chat in just a moment. We've got episodes on doing a rebrand, effective planning, telling stories with data, and lots more in store over the coming weeks, so stay tuned. On to Kevin Flanagan. He and I have known each other for a while. Kevin's one of the steadiest marketing hands I know. He's worked in a number of neat sectors and is now Director of Marketing and Public Relations at Boston-based Micronotes, a leader in AI-driven conversational marketing for financial institutions. There's a term you hear a lot, conversational marketing. I wanted to get an update on what Kevin is up to and hear about conversational marketing. Hope you enjoy the chat. Let's get to it. Kevin, it's great to have you on Confessions of a Marketer. Welcome. Thank you, Mark. Great to be here. Before we start talking about conversational marketing, how about those Red Sox, huh? Well, let me tell you, uh, winning a World Series never gets old. You know, I'm a, I'm a Boston sports fan in general, but I'm a Red Sox fan in particular, and they could win every year for the rest of my life, and I do not think I would get bored. Yeah, it's it, it, what a great season. Ugh. And, you know, I think there are some lessons for people in marketing and business, the way the Red Sox approached this season, don't you? Oh, I do. I think uh, in terms of managing people and in terms of, uh, you know, messaging and, and engaging with the media in an effective way and not in an adversarial way. I think uh, Alex Cora for, you know, someone who didn't really speak English all that well until he went to college in the U.S. and who's a first year manager. He was just a textbook example of how to not only manage his team, which, you know, most of us do in one form or another, either internal people or agencies that we use, but also just uh, how he uh, spoke to the media and how he shared information in an open way without, you know, being too open, let's say, where it might have been invasive to the players but he took the heat he was he was the, the main man so to speak and and it really paid off obviously he was able to get the best out of his players and coaches and that's the name of the game and they won yeah so i think the secret may be hire a good leader and spend a lot of money <laughs> i think spending a lot of money definitely <laughs> helps yeah. 
All right. So can you tell me what conversational marketing is and how it's sure. being employed by companies these days? Exactly. We've all been exposed to some type of conversational marketing. So essentially, conversational marketing, according to kind of the textbook definition, is more of a, a one-to-one approach where you engage with your prospective or your existing customer, as the case may be, to provide you know, a, a more human experience as opposed to just you know, placing an order on Amazon. I mean, that's an easy process that most of us do, but there's really no human interaction. I mean, you can look at reviews of a product that you know, supposedly real people have written, but you know, there's no interaction that way. So when you think of how we are now conversing using technology. There's a few ways that it's done, and all of them are some aspect of conversational marketing. But it's it's interesting that even in something this new, there are significant variations on how it's done. So when you go to a website and a chatbot pops up, you know, there's a company called Drift that kind of has a, a major presence in, in that market. Right. It generally will say like, hi, how can I help you today? Or hi, you know, what are you interested in? And then it is incumbent upon the individual, the consumer or the B2B prospective customer or client. It's incumbent upon him or her to know what they want, to be able to say, oh, right, I'm interested in this. And if that's the case, if you know what you want, then it can be an effective way of communicating via chatbot. I would like to know more about this. And you wait a while because obviously, you know, there's usually not a real person on the other end. Uh, and if there isn't, it can take time to get, you know, some kind of uh, uh, automated response. But generally, it can kind of help you get where you want to go. So that's one way that conversational marketing is taking place today both in the, the B2B and the B2C worlds, but it's not the only way. There are other ways that all of us as consumers engage with technology as well. So many people, I won't say most at this point, but many people have an Alexa or they have you know, a Google device or I'm a HomePod uh, right. user, uh, but it's incumbent upon you to start the conversation. You don't say, hey, Alexa, what should I do today? Because Alexa is going to go, well, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> is it a work day? You should go to work. Is it, you know, Saturday and it's nice out? You should go to the park. Uh, it doesn't know. So we ask specific questions. We say, Alexa, what's the weather today? Or Alexa, how long is it going to take me to drive from my home to my office? And Alexa or Siri, uh, you know, or any of the other technologies, let's say, of that ilk, they can do a pretty good job of telling you what to do in response to your question. But it's always a, what do you want? And if you don't know what you want, that's where conversational marketing can get a little difficult. So, you know, the company that I work for, uh, Micronotes in Boston, we have artificial intelligence, machine learning, machine learning, of course, being a, a subset of AI. And what our technology does is it actually interviews or has a conversation with the user. So instead of saying, what do you want? We sell our product to banks and credit unions primarily right now. So what we do when, when an existing credit union member or bank customer is engaged with digital banking, either you know on a computer or mobile banking on a, a phone or a tablet, 
we ask specific questions and the machine learning process gets better and better each time so that it's truly a conversation. It's not, hey, Mark, what are you interested in from our bank? Because maybe you're just interested in paying a bill or you're interested in checking your balance. But it, instead, knowing who you are when you log in, it can say, hey, are you interested in a new car loan? And you might say, well, no, I'm not. And then it might ask you, well, do you already have a car loan with another institution? Because obviously your current bank knows whether you do or don't have a car loan with them. Right. And you might say, I do. I, I do happen to have a car loan with another institution. Then the next question is, you know, we have some fantastic rates for refinancing a car loan. Would you like to learn more? Right. And then you have the option of saying, yeah, I'll, I'll look it up online on your website or give me a call. And then the conversation can say, well, this is the number we have for you. Is that the number you want us to call? And you might say, no, I'm somewhere else or, you know, call my office phone and, and you can input a number. That's a real conversation yeah. that was started by the AI informed by machine learning that gets better and better with use. That's what I consider to be sort of the next generation of conversation marketing. How do you make it feel natural and not technology-driven? I'm thinking of whenever I go to my cable company and I try to do something online to get a, you know, a better rate, it feels like it's the technology driving the conversation and not my uh, desire for a better deal. So how, how do you make that conversation more relevant? Well, that's where the human touch comes in. As with most things, you know, there are people behind the technology. So building interviews that sound like a human being is actually asking the questions because a human being wrote the questions, that's really the first step. And it's also the personalization. When you go to a website where you don't currently have a presence or, or let's say a relationship, meaning you didn't log in as yourself with your password so that the, the website technology now knows, oh, this is Mark. So, you know, we have information about Mark so we can make the experience that he's now about to undertake more personal. If you don't have that, it's obviously not going to be personal if you're just, you know, surfing around saying, yeah, I want to buy, uh, you know, something for a family member for the holidays. But, uh, you know, I'm not I don't really know much about it. Let's say it's, you know, a piece of technology that you don't use or, you know, some kind of sophisticated bicycle uh, that, you know, your, your child or your spouse wants or whatever. You don't know much about it. So you're just going to go website to website, try to gain information, learn something. And if you encounter chatbots, it's really impossible for it to be personal. The key is that when you do have a relationship with your bank, with your insurance company, even you know at some point with your physician or your dentist or anybody that you regularly interact with, they should be able to say, hi, Mark, or hi, Kevin, you know, essentially, how are you doing? But without the simplistic kind of like, hey, how's it going? Great. Hey, good to hear. You know, that, yeah. that's just... Without that small talk. Yeah, and it's, it's fake. But if it can ask you specific questions based upon your propensity for things, you know, one of the really cool things that my company can offer is by using the information that's provided by 
the banks and credit unions that it's it's highly secure uh you know it's it's only the information that needs to be shared is is shared and it's all done on you know servers that have uh, 50 levels of security as you would expect right. but essentially artificial intelligence that's informed by machine learning can say you know based upon the checking account balance and based upon the credit card balance of this individual they might be at risk for not being able to make a payment on their credit card. So the system can say, hey, Jim, or hey, Mary, are you interested in our skip a payment offering? Uh, most banks have something like that where literally you can skip a payment and maybe there's a small fee attached, but it's a lot less than, than you would pay for your uh, you know, December payment, let's say. Yeah. And the person can say, like, oh, yeah, that would be great. So by, by being able to anticipate, by being able to garner knowledge based upon the consumer's banking information, and again, this is just within the bank. This is not shared with Google or shared with Facebook or anything like that. You can help the customer or the credit union member avoid a problem. And then sometimes, based upon uh, maybe lack of, of visits to the website, uh, lack of mobile engagements, the system can say, wow, you know, this, this particular customer might be at risk of attrition because they've let their balance get low, but, you know, it, it doesn't appear that it's a, a financial crisis. Maybe they're just thinking of going to another bank. Yeah. So you can say, you know, did you know we have a tremendous interest rate right now on money market certificates or, you know, something like that? And the person might say, yeah, you know, geez, I've been looking around. Uh, tell me more. And you can save that client. So there are ways to use the technology that is mutually advantageous. And that's really the key. It has to be advantageous both to the business, but also to the consumer. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. Can you tell me about a, you know, what a typical Micronotes implementation in a bank is like and you know, how you help them? Everything is, is API-driven. So it's, it's pretty simple to get up and running. We have a team that engages with uh, each new client, uh, a very uh, specific onboarding process. Uh, you know, we, we believe that new clients in particular should, should uh, you know, crawl before they walk, before they run. They need to be comfortable with the, the technology. One of the things that we uh, suggest is when a, an institution first uses the uh, Micronotes uh, platform, first installs it and first becomes uh, you know, conversant with it, they should uh, do a net promoter score yeah. um, type of, of conversation with their clientele. First of all, it gives them a baseline. I mean, if they don't get a good score, that's a red flag that maybe they need to you know, make changes or take some sort of action to avoid problems down the line with lost business and, and reduced uh, revenue. I mean, you know, banks can only lend money if they have money uh, in their uh, system. So, you know, if, if deposits dwindle, then they can't make loans or they have to do it at a much higher rate that's not competitive and it becomes a, a bigger problem. So, you know, you, you do the net promoter score uh, type of thing and you're able to say, okay, you know, that's good. We, we now know where we stand. 
the other thing, which which I think is is unique, well, a couple of aspects. One is, you know, we kind of have a, a two weeks on, one week off process that the the client, the bank or the credit union at this point can adjust however they like. But the idea is not to wear out your welcome. Sure. When someone is doing online banking, you know, let's say again, you're on your laptop or your home-based computer. Sometimes you see the conversation in session. Other times it might be at the end when you log out, it's almost like, you know, the old uh, Lieutenant Columbo. Ooh, one more thing. Right. Uh, can I ask you this question, you know? Right. Uh, so you try to do it in a way that, that is natural, the way you and I are, are conversing now. Um, so, you know, the, the other thing that we do that our clients really seem to love is we, instead of it, it doesn't always need to be trying to sell something. This is particularly important for credit unions. You, you may uh, notice that I referred to bank customers and credit union members. I joined a credit union over 30 years ago, and they always made a point of "you're a member." And you know, it's a. In on the one hand, it's kind of a, a very um, uh, small distinction between being a bank customer or a credit union member, but it's just you know when in Rome using the, sure. the proper words. But credit unions, our, our clientele in particular, you know, they don't like to talk about uh, driving revenue from their members or, you know, driving business because it just, it, it's a little distasteful for them. They're like, sure, we want more uh, funds to come in. We want people to have multiple types of accounts, but they're, they're a little less, you know, maybe not hard sell, but they're, they're much softer sell than, than your typical bank. So one of the things that we do is we offer um, all kinds of conversations that are just quick facts. They could be about security or they could be about holidays. You know, we had a Columbus Day and a Veterans Day yeah. and a Thanksgiving, and there'll be, you know, December holidays. And it's like, what's your favorite thing about the holidays? And you give people three choices. Or at Halloween, it's like, you know, it's pumpkin season. Uh, what's the record for the largest pumpkin ever measured at, you know, any kind of state fair? And you give people choices. And, of course, you know, one of them is right. And you've got an answer that says, oh, you were close, but it's actually, you know, 2,003 pounds or whatever, yeah. not 1,950 pounds. So you you engage with people in a way that seems as natural as you and I having this conversation. And what it really does, you know, to, to kind of uh, take it to a higher level, you know, you and I are both old enough to remember, you know, as both children and then, you know, maybe as young adults when we first worked, you went to the bank. I was a bank teller when I worked in, in college. And, you know, on, on Fridays and, and Saturdays, banks would be jammed with people cashing their paychecks. Right. You know, it was before direct deposit was ubiquitous and before you could do everything at an ATM. So there were ample opportunities for banks to engage with their customers and same with credit unions, with their members. You know, there were uh, standing signs that said, you know, Christmas club, great rates, get a, yeah. you know, get a prize when you sign up and vacation clubs and mortgages and car loans and all that stuff. And if you were, you know, uh, uh, an adult, let's say, uh, you know, and, and you were bringing in a, a nice paycheck every week and putting it in the bank, yeah, the bankers would get to know you, not just the tellers, but yeah. the, you know, the assistant managers, the loan managers, the, the branch managers. Well, nowadays, it's about 60 online uh, or digital banking engagements per consumer per year to three in-person branch visits. Yeah. So the, the opportunity to just go... Hey, Mark, how's it going? Uh, you know, your daughter must be getting close to college age, right? Yeah, you know, she's a sophomore now. Hmm, okay. Well, you know, have you started looking at college loans or grants or, you know, whatever a bank might be able to help you with? Or, you know, does she have savings bonds you right. want to cash in? Whatever it might be. Well, that opportunity 
to have a conversation is really gone. And that's where technology can sort of fill in the gap. And you have to do it in a way that is human, simple, and is something that the consumer on the other side of the conversation is very receptive to. It feels, you know, highly developed, yet only scratching the surface. As you said, we're in the early days of this. And I envision, you know, entire experiences built on, on this kind of technology, which will be incredibly powerful for marketers. So where do you think it's headed? I think it's going to become incredibly pervasive. It already is in, in so many ways that you may not think of. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, if you use Netflix, for example, you know, I, I logged on and, and my wife and I watched a movie last night and it said first, you know, I did it through Apple TV and it said, who's watching? Is it is it Kevin or is it Sue? Yeah. And I said, it's me. And then it started making recommendations because it knows what I've watched. I like science fiction and, you know, things like that. So, of course, it's going to make suggestions like that. Same thing if you use, uh, you know, any of the uh, the online music services, uh, Apple Music or Spotify or Pandora. You know, once you have an account and once you've shown them what type of music you like, it's going to say, well, you know, we think you might like this. Yeah, and the recommendations are often uncanny, and you think, wow. Of course. <laughs> That's great, yeah. Right, because in the past, recommendations, you know, things have been able to, to do that ever since the dawn of, you know, the online internet era, you know, more than 20 years ago now. But recommendations could have been cookie cutter. Well, we just bought the rights to this movie, so we're going to say, hey, you know, we think you'd like this. And this, whatever it is, that title, may not be appealing to you or me or, you know, many other people who would be logging in. But it was the best they could do. And they were like, well, you know, it's not different from a supermarket having, you know, end displays where they're like, okay, either we have a lot of this or we want it to be a loss leader. You know, people come in and see that, you know, canned pineapple is incredibly inexpensive right now. And they're going to, you know, head through the rest of the store and buy, you know, $150 total uh, worth of groceries. So, you know, those types of things have been going on in our in our lives as consumers forever. Uh, you know, pretty much in the in the life of anybody, uh, you know, who's still around today, uh, you know, sales and and, you know, signs and windows for uh, butchers or bakers. You know, it was always we're having a sale on this or, you know, this is available at an unbelievable price. But now it's far more personalized. Yeah. You know, think of it like if somebody has, uh, you know, one of those conditions where they can't eat uh, wheat products. Well, if they go by a bakery, the bakery is not going to say, hey, you know, come on in for our fresh white bread because that's something that person can't eat. So if it were done with the knowledge of who that individual is because they were logging into a site that they already have a relationship with, they're not going to show them something that they know is wrong. If I have a an auto loan with my bank or credit union, they're not going to say, hey, uh, do you have an auto loan or are you interested in an auto loan? Because they know I have one. And that's what's great about it because it eliminates the, oh, for goodness sakes, yeah. why are you trying to sell me an auto loan? I already have one. Why are you trying to do this? I already have that. It's the intelligence and the ability to learn and to not, in effect, bother people with the wrong question that's very exciting and that has all kinds of of applications really it's it's almost endless and and that's what's exciting about it 
Well, Kevin, what a pleasure it was to have this conversation about conversational marketing with you. Thanks for joining me. It's always great to do that. Thanks, Mark, and I appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk again. Thanks to Kevin for being here. We'll be back next time with an episode on effective planning. With the end of the calendar year bearing down on us, it'll be good to hear some sensible advice from my guest, Robotia, Chief Product and Marketing Officer at Limelight. So stay with us. This episode of Confessions of a Marketer was written, produced, and edited by yours truly, T. Jordan of A-Class Productions wrote the theme music. Confessions of a Marketer is a trademark of Reed Edwards Global Inc., and this episode is copyright 2018. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. See you next time. stay home for the greater good. Secondhand smoke doesn't. It drifts through cracks in walls, air vents, and sink drains, spreading toxic chemicals that can damage lungs. Secondhand vape also puts your lungs at risk, even with the fruity smells. Protect yourself and the people around you from these secondhand dangers. Learn how at tobaccofreeca.com.